You're listening to The Message from the Hillsborough United Methodist Church, our weekly sermon broadcast available for working around the home, your commute, or wherever God calls you to listen. This passage from John's Gospel contains what is probably one of the most well-known Bible verses in uh, the English language, if not globally. John 3.16. And I suspect we probably even know it a little bit better here in America because if you are of a certain age, you remember watching, if if you're a sports fan, you remember watching lots of sporting events and there was always a guy somewhere holding up a sign that said, John 3.16. And I remember thinking that there was like some kind of secret message that I had to go figure out as a kid. And I found out later that it was a Bible verse, which was a little bit disappointing. I mean, to be honest, but because I already had a Bible, this was not new information, but all right, fine, fine, fine. So it's a well-known verse. For God so loved the world that God sent God's only begotten son. Right? Good stuff. But it's such a well-known verse that we know it mostly out of context. It's as though we've focused so much on the one tree in front of us that we've missed all the other trees around and we don't see the forest, not just because we're stuck in the middle of it, but because we're so focused on this one verse, we don't see the rest of the stuff from where this verse comes. And it begins in this really strange way. Just as Moses lifted the serpent up in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. What? We skip past that part. We go to 3.16 because we like that part. We like 3.17 too. And then we sort of leave off the rest about light and judgment and dark and the people who prefer the dark. Because that seems strange and weird. And it gets weirder if you happen to figure out where it is that Jesus is referring to in that story about Moses lifting a serpent up in the wilderness. It's the first passage that Essie read for us from the book of Numbers. Everybody's favorite book in the Old Testament, of course. The people of Israel are wandering in the wilderness. They've been at it for a while. And they've been punks about it, to be quite honest. They come to the Red Sea and they cry out, look, what have you done? Here come the chariots. And now we just as soon have died back there as to come out here and die at the edge of the sea. And of course, then God makes a way across the sea. And then they get hungry and they get thirsty. And every time something doesn't go the way they want it to, they complain and whine and cry. And God sorts it out for them. And they've been provided manna and fresh water and even get to have meat. They get birds, quail to capture. They've got everything they need. And of course, they come to a rough spot and they're like, oh, I'm so tired of manna and quail and fresh water in the middle of the desert. And they complain. And the judgment that comes on them is a bunch of serpents show up out of nowhere, bite them, and they die. 
And then they come to Moses and they say, we're really sorry about the complaining and the dying now. We'd like to fix that, please. And God tells Moses to make a bronze serpent, reflecting the venomous serpents who've been biting them, to hold that bronze serpent up. Whenever somebody's bitten, they look at the bronze serpent and they don't die. What a weird story. What a very bizarre story. And Jesus refers to that story in this conversation that he's having with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. That just as Moses lifts up the serpent in the wilderness to save the Israelites from the venom that uh, when they've been bitten, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Weird, isn't it? And then as Jesus talks about the judgment that comes into the world, that the light shines and people love darkness rather than light. And if I'm honest, most of the time I read that and I think, yeah, those rotten, no good, darkness lovers. I assume that Jesus is talking about somebody else because I'm not that kind of person. But of course we are those kind of people. For God so loved the world, which means all of us, and that notion of God coming to redeem and to save the world implies that all of us are in need of redemption and salvation. We are the people who sometimes love the darkness. We prefer to live in the shadows. And the reason that I think I'm so quick to assume that somebody else lives in the shadows and I don't is because I don't hide in the shadows to be nefarious and sneaky and do evil deeds, and neither do you. Of course not. We hide in the shadows because we're afraid. We live in the shadows because we're afraid of what will be seen about us when we live in the light. Shortly after the world changed and we all went to doing everything virtually, I noticed lots of people, including colleagues and clergy friends, uh, who got really invested in uh, the proper equipment. And appropriately so. We've got good equipment here to make this thing work. Fortunately, other churches don't have a parry. We have a Perry who has all the things to do all of the stuff. So we didn't have to buy much. He just showed up like this, like sort of, it's like, I don't know, just like self-contained live stream guy. And, and then it was all ready to go. But people have been really invested in making sure they look good when they do their live streams and their Zooms and all that stuff. And there are these lights. You've seen them maybe that they're circles so that your camera goes through the hole in the middle of the circle and then you get nice even light and no harsh shadows. And you can change the warmth and the brightness and all of that stuff so you look just perfect online. 
We all want to look good. Maybe we're less concerned about our physical appearance, but we all want to look good to one another. We want people to admire us. We want people to appreciate us. We want people to see our gifts and our skills. We want people to, to know what good and kind and thoughtful people we are. It just seems to be part of human nature. But we don't really want to be seen fully. That part is hard. And so what we show others is the good and beautiful and helpful stuff about us. And we hide some of the other stuff away. We keep that in the shadows. But to be loved is to be known. And so to be completely loved as we are by God is to be completely known. The good and the bad. And that's scary. Because we have a hard time loving the parts of us that are ugly and embarrassing and angry. And if we have a hard time loving that part of ourselves, we have a hard time imagining that God or anyone else might love that part of us. And so we hide it away. The downside of that, of course, is the problem with that is that the things that are hidden can never be healed. We have to show and be honest about who we really are. All of us are complete selves for it to be made better. If you go to the doctor and the doctor says, how are you doing? You go, oh, I'm fine. Even if you're not fine, even if your leg is funny colors and doesn't work, if the doctor doesn't see that and you don't tell the doctor, she can't make it better. If you've had this funny pain in your chest every morning when you wake up and you don't tell the doctor, she can't help you. And it seems so unreasonable, doesn't it? Of course, if you need help, you go and get help. If you have a medical problem, you go and get to the doctor, you go to... But... So a few years ago, I, have all, I had all of my wisdom teeth. They all came in, and uh, when I was a kid, my uh, orthodontist said, don't get rid of your wisdom teeth. If you don't have to, keep them as long as you can, because uh, you have a big mouth, which I know, not a surprise. And if you have your wisdom teeth, it will keep the rest of your teeth forward instead of like, you know, just getting farther and farther to the back. I guess. And so I didn't ever do anything about wisdom teeth. They seemed to be fine. And uh, I remember just about three years ago, I was, I don't remember if I was eating a snack or something, and, and something funny happened back here, and, and there was a tiny little piece of tooth. And I found it, and I went, oh, wow, a small part of my wisdom tooth broke off. And the reasonable thing to do would have been to go to the dentist and say, Part of my tooth broke off. Can you fix that? That's not what I did. Because I imagined, back of my head somewhere, 
They're gonna do weird things to me if I show up with a part of my tooth. They're gonna yank things out of my head. They're gonna probably, probably take all of them out. It will be miserable. And you know, they'll probably discover all kinds of other things wrong because I hadn't been to the dentist in a while when that thing happened. And I'll be in there for, and I just, oh. And you know, like the next day, it didn't actually hurt. And it was kind of weird for a week. And then like I kind of got used to it and it really didn't notice it anymore. For months, it was fine. And then a big piece of that same tooth broke off and it was very much not fine. It hurt and it was miserable and I had to make an emergency appointment to go to the dentist and then to the uh, oral surgeon and sure enough, they yanked the tooth out and they showed it to me in all of its crumbly, nasty glory. I don't know why they do that, but they did. And if I had gone earlier, it would have been less traumatic. But that's not how we work sometimes. We're so afraid of the cure that sometimes we live with the curse. And I know you would never do anything stupid like break a tooth and not go tell anybody. But it seems to maybe be part of human nature that we hide away the things that we're embarrassed by, that we're worried about, that we don't like, that we're fearful might be painful to fix and heal. So when Jesus says that the light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light, it's not because they're up to no good, it's because they're so afraid. We are fearful. And we do harm when we live in the shadows of our fear. But to be loved is to be known. And to be fully loved is to be fully known. We might like to pretend that we're not the people who would have been involved with the crowd on Good Friday. We like to imagine ourselves enjoying the beauty of Easter morning and the resurrection. But we have to also know that we are also the ones who stand in the crowd on Friday. As they shout, crucify him, crucify him. And we might not shout it as loudly as somebody next to us. And we might not even want Jesus to be crucified, but we're probably afraid of standing up against an angry mob. And so we go along with it because we're afraid. And when we live out of fear and in shadow, we do harm to others. And so we stand with the crowd on Good Friday as they shout, crucify, crucify. In this strange story from Numbers about the serpent and the image that Moses is commanded to make, the same vehicle that is the condemnation of the people for their complaining, the serpents who bite them, is the means by which they are saved. The bronze serpent is lifted up, and that bronze serpent is also their cure.
we stand condemned by Good Friday and by all of the other ways that we live and act out of fear, that we hide in the darkness. We stand condemned by the crucifixion. And the same means by which we are condemned and judged is a means by which we are saved and healed. The crucifixion becomes not just a condemnation of who we are as a broken people, but it becomes a means by which God says that even our hatred and our fear and our living out of our shadow selves is not enough. It is not the last word. That love and life, they have the last word. The resurrection resonates in our world because of Good Friday. And because when we live out of our darkness, we hide away the thing that needs to be healed the most. But God's love shines everywhere. And as much as we try to hide from ourselves, from one another, and even from God, God sees who we are. And when we offer ourselves wholly to God, when we step out of the darkness and into the light, as blinding as it may be, as disorienting as it may be, as uncomfortable as it might be, we are made whole. We are healed. Brothers and sisters, we are people who live in the light of God's love. And that is God's good news this day. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you for listening to the message from Hillsborough United Methodist Church. Our senior pastor is Clay Andrew. Our pastor for Las Naciones Hispanic Ministries is Jorge Rodriguez. Our media ministers are Kevin Proctor, Janica Stewart, Perry Hume, Al Dietrich, Christy Proctor, and Dave Rose. Presently, our live stream of services are available at 10 a.m. on the Hillsborough United Methodist Church YouTube page. You can find out more, like us on Facebook, or subscribe to our YouTube at hillsboroughumc.org. Thank you.